1: head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. So today we're going to talk about why your doctor might have chosen IVF as your recommended treatment. So IVF is no doubt a high-tech approach to helping conceive a baby. And because of that, and the expense that's associated with it, making the decision to move down that track needs to be based on a proper assessment of all the factors. So it's not to be taken lightly. Your doctor should have taken a very detailed history in the first visit in which he or she would have explored all the various potential causes of infertility in you and your partner and just from the history may lead to a conclusion that IVF is going to be where you're at. The things in that at that point that would be indicative of needing IVF would be if they've previously been shown to have damaged fallopian tubes, pelvic inflammatory disease, ectopic pregnancies, endo- severe endometriosis, which would cause tubes to be blocked on the female side. And on the male side, history of damage to the testicles, either through infection, trauma, and but ultimately on the male side, it'll be whether or not the semen quality numbers is significantly reduced. So even from the history, some doctors would be able to be saying to you, it's likely you're going to be going down the IVF track. But I have to say that's a minority of the patients that I see. The next stage is obviously investigations. And at those initial investigations, there may be things that say, you're not going to get pregnant without having IVF. I've already mentioned very low sperm counts, and it's very difficult to reverse poor sperm numbers. And IVF with sperm injection really is the only way forward. On the female side, the only absolute indication to do IVF after investigations is where you've got blocked tubes. Blocked tubes were the original reason that IVF was undertaken, because surgery to block tubes was so unsuccessful that bypassing them was the way forward, and that's why where IVF really established itself. So they're the absolute indications where a doctor would say, let's do IVF. There are some minor or rarer things where a genetic abnormality has been picked up on the screening of the chromosome numbers and a condition called translocation, which will lead to infertility and a high risk carriage rate, can be overcome by genetically testing embryos and only putting those back that are not affected. And there may be some other rare genetic things that by doing IVF and genetically testing, we can improve the possibility of pregnancy and, of course, avoid transmitting that genetic abnormality. But after that, we move to the grey area. There's two groups that we're left with after the various things I've discussed. And the first of those, the group of women who aren't ovulating regularly, and most of those have polycystic ovarian syndrome. IVF is not the first step. In that situation. There are oral tablets that you can take that in something like 80% of women will produce ovulation and allow natural conception to occur if everything else is normal. It's cheap, it's safe and produces pregnancies on a regular basis. The next group of patients are those where we do all the investigations and find nothing wrong. Again, IVF should not be the first choice in that situation. For instance, there is good evidence that the test we do to check the tubes of patent by flushing dye through them actually improves pregnancy rates in unexplained infertility over the next three months. So that's the course of action that needs to happen, not IVF. The other things in unexplained infertility that can be done is to give medication to try and stimulate ovulation to make sure it's really good. That's probably worth a try. Then there is intrauterine insemination. And undertaking intrauterine insemination does involve drugs, does involve monitoring the cycle to pick exactly the day of ovulation with blood tests and ultrasound. And it does require the preparation of the sperm to inseminate inside the uterus and that insemination is not much more than a pap smear. It's significantly less expensive than IVF and again produces pregnancy rates at least as good as natural conception and probably beyond, and therefore is worth undertaking before moving on to IVF. Generally, I suggest patients have two cycles of IUI, and if that fails, yes, move on to IVF. I'm afraid too many patients come with infertility and expect IVF, and most doctors tend to oblige. I'm afraid that also leads potentially to unnecessary IVF. There's no doubt that IVF brings forward the chance of a pregnancy. Each cycle of IVF, if you're under 38, has something between a 35 and 40% chance of you producing a pregnancy in the next month compared with Nature, which is around 15%, and compared with IUI, which pushes it up to 20-plus percent. But it comes with risks, and it comes with expense. So when your doctor says that you should have IVF, just make sure that other options have not been thought of and potentially undertaken, because you may not need it. At the end of the day, when you do get to IVF, it should be based on evidence, evidence that you need it, not that IVF is just a convenient thing to do at the earliest possible stage. And don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu.